The day we all had circled is finally here as the Phoenix Suns, now that the calendar is on January 15th, can finally trade DeAndre Ayton if they choose to do so. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, we'll talk about whether they might choose to do so and why they might if they do, plus just how his season has gone. Lots to get into. National Trade DeAndre Ayton Day is here. Let's go. On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons and a writer at Suns.com and Dime Magazine. Thank you all for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Monday, another Suns game day, but a lot of big picture stuff to get to before Suns Grizzlies tips off here at four local time. Whatever, wherever you are finding the show, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or of course YouTube, go ahead and hit follow or subscribe. Get a recap of today's Grizzlies matchup and shows throughout the rest of the week every single Monday through Friday in your feed. If you are on YouTube, hit that bell down below, get a notification when this show goes live, and drop a comment with your thoughts on our DeAndre Ayton conversation today. Would the Suns actually trade him in season, and how has his value changed uh, from the last time we were all having this conversation last summer? Brandon Duenas is here. He is a writer at Bright Side of the Sun, uh, joining us as he does every single week to break all of this down. And Brandon, I want to, I don't usually start, I don't usually uh, feature Twitter chatter too much in the show in general because it can kind of be funny. But um, in this case, the chatter uh, was about something I said. So I'm going to start us off there. I'm going to put the tweet up on the screen. So I said, DeAndre wanted, DeAndre Ayton wanted to sign with the team last summer that would play through him on offense. This is what that would have looked like. And I was, of course, referring to the performance that he put together uh, in the Suns' last game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They lost by five. He was five of 18 from the field. Uh, I think some people agreed. I think a lot of people thought I was just being a hater. I will admit I've talked a lot about Aiton recently, and not all of it has been positive, so maybe people are going to see the title of this show and the intro I've already given and think I'm just doing it all over again. But it is a big deal today because he can be traded. But I want to start with that tweet. Was I being ridiculous? Was I being a hater? Uh, what what was your read? If you even saw the tweet, maybe this is your first time. But give me your give me your reaction. No, I, I did see the tweet, and I think that's the beauty of the podcast, right? Is all the nuance can be discussed. Where Twitter, it's like either you're on one side or the other, right? It's like either you're a hater or this is just a good observation. Uh, to me, I think it's a fair point in terms of you know DeAndre if he's going to be the feature player in an offense I just I just don't think he has that in him right now at this point of his career uh to be like someone that could be your number one on a especially on not, I'm not going to start with a championship level team let's just start with the playoff team uh in Indiana I think uh the only part of that tweet that I could find like an argument too is like I think the Pacers right now are a lot better than the, the Suns uh you know like corpse uh, of, of a roster they have left um but but even then it's like DeAndre is not that that guy at this point and uh, I think we're kind of seeing that and, and also he's coming off an injury all that there's gonna be rust all that kind of stuff but but I do think I agree with like the premise of that tweet that it's you know if you you asked for this and now you're getting this opportunity to be that featured guy and so far um, there's been moments this season where he's shown 
you know, flashes, which has kind of been the story of his career. Right. Um, so, but putting it all together consistently to be a number one option, that's, that's a responsibility that comes with that. So you got to back up the the talk if, if, you, if you're trying to, to be the number one. The injury thing is totally fair. And I, I get that. I tend to feel like if a guy is, is healthy enough to be playing 30 plus minutes, I'm going to treat them as healthy. I'm not going to give them the out of, oh, well, they might not have been a hundred percent. I mean, same as any of us. If I'm at work, I'm not going to be telling my boss I didn't get something done because I don't feel great. I'm here or I'm not here. One or the other, right? I know sports are weird. We know injuries can play a part in all this. I'm not ignoring that, but I'm going to judge you based on what you do on the court. I'm not going to be looking for excuses because you're out there. I think the Pacers thing, I wasn't even necessarily really connecting it to any team like the exact makeup of a team. Mm -hmm. I know the Pacers are the team that eventually ponied up and, and made the offer. We didn't know Halliburton was going to be as great as he's been. We didn't really know anything about that team, right? They've, they've surprised us. It's totally fair to say that if he was a, a number two to Halliburton, that he would be a 1A, 1B with Halliburton, whatever, that Aiton would be much more set up for success than he is with, you know, Dwayne Washington going through, taking uh, <laughs> some bad uh, – misses some bad turnovers and learning on the fly here. I get all that. But I will push back on the Pacers thing just to say, uh, Aiton, I'm not sure he would, like, if, if he was playing co-pilot with Halliburton, he's kind of back in the same situation he's in now. It felt to me like he wanted something where he was very much on the same level as anyone else on the team, if not higher. So I even think of, like, the, the Pistons, which was a team we connected to Aiton for mm -hmm. a long time. They're a, a you know... They've had a season from hell. Kate is, is probably going to miss the whole year, and they don't have a lot of talent, right? What would Aiton look like on that team? This is sort of what I was getting at, and it's, again, not just the missed shots. It's not. I, I, I understand how injuries and the other roster around him affects this stuff. He's not playing hard, and this is some of the stuff that I think is going to lead into what we talk about the rest of the show. He's not playing hard. Uh, the defense is is gone in terms of... You know, if everything is going right around him, you can still obviously see he's an incredibly gifted guy. He's a veteran in this league now. I'm not saying he's the worst defender in the NBA. I'm not saying he's some disaster, but he's not making a difference. He's not holding this defense together. And those are all the things that also come when you are a max player and you are the only great player left healthy on your team, whether it's right now what the Suns are going through or it's the situation he might have been in on another team. But setting that aside and, and leaving the, the Twitter debate uh, behind a little bit, I think what I want to ask you as we kind of sit here is I made a show, actually a very positive show about Aiton about two, three weeks ago when we knew Booker was going to be out long-term where I was like, this is the time feed Deandre Aiton. And so that's part of why I'm circling back on this conversation is to hold myself accountable a little bit. I had a take that was very positive because he had an awesome December. He had an awesome, basically from Thanksgiving to Christmas, he killed it. And so with that in mind, but also the fact that he started very poorly and he's been very poor lately, what do you make of his season? Now, this first year after his rookie contract, you know, distancing ourselves even from the debate about the, the the free agency just as a player this year what have you made of of Aiton's performance yeah like you said uh you know just a few weeks ago there's a point where in I said this earlier too it's just kind of been the story of his career where there's moments where like okay has he finally arrived is this like what we're gonna get from DeAndre 
every game. And then there's, there's moments where you're just where we are kind of now, where it's just like, there's, there's no effort. He looks uh, disengaged and uh, you know, that's, it's going to happen like, you know, game by game with certain players throughout the season. It's a long season, but when it's an extended stretch and, you know, you're getting an opportunity to, to prove yourself and earn that, that label that he wanted, like you said, of just being that, that go-to option. Uh, it's been disappointing in that, in that sense. And I think, uh, you know, this season, his numbers are pretty identical uh, to last season, except a little less efficient in terms of just like, I think he's at 17 and 10 more or less, which is what he was at last season. And it's not really always about the numbers with him, but you're hoping he'd get closer to that, you know, 20 and 12 mark this season. At least, at least I did, you know, I thought this was with CP kind of taking a step back and letting the young guys develop. Uh, this, this seemed like a perfect opportunity for DeAndre to make that all-star leap. And, and uh, like, like we said, he's, he's shown flashes of it, but it, when you're not consistent, it's tough to really uh, take yourself serious in that uh, all-star debate. I, I predicted he would be an all-star this year. Like, people yeah. want me to be anti Aiton, and I, I really, I don't feel like I am. I think I was uh, up through about, you know, I've always said about March or February, March of 2020, right before the shutdown, I started to come around. People will remember who were watching all the way back then. He had a monster road trip, huge games in Boston and Dallas and New York, and then since then, I mean, the bubble was, you know, a little bit up and down. But then, you know, since then, he's he's been a really, really good player. And I think I've I've given him the, the credit where it's due. I thought he would be an all-star this year. I did the big show about this is the time to feed him. He's earned it. He's played so great in December. you got to give him the chance to keep building on, on what he's done this season. And I, I tend to come back with you. I, it, isn't, it isn't just the numbers. Um, but, you know, efficiency, his, he's shooting like five percentage points worse from the field this season, five percentage points worse from two point range. Some of that is natural, right? You take harder shots. You're going to, you're going to miss them. That we, we kind of built that into our expectations. He's still 80% from the rim. His mid range percentage is mostly what has, has killed him. And I think especially when you look at the short mid range, some of the stuff that we used to give him so much credit for having amazing touch around the basket on those floater and hook type shots. He's at 47% on short mid rangers this year. He was at 59 uh, last season. And then it is some of the other stuff in terms of, you know, not developing the aspects of his game that would allow him to be more of a creator. We've had that conversation a ton of times. What I want to turn the page to, um, with that mixed bag in terms of performance this season in mind is what is DeAndre Ayton's trade value? We know he's eligible. We know it comes at a pretty odd time with all these injuries and the fact that he's not playing well. But if we look around the league or we put ourselves in the shoes of another general manager, what is Ayton actually worth? Is he desirable? We'll talk about that next first. Today's show, guys, brought to you by Prize Picks. Uh, Price Picks came in and they put Daily Fantasy on a whole new level. They made it more fun. They made it simpler. They made it more variable, versatile. What I mean by that is Price Picks simplifies the whole thing. You don't play against a league or a team or an individual opponent. You just put yourself against the Price Picks player projections. And what I meant by versatile is you can pick two to six players across any sport. So you don't have to have all basketball. You don't have to have all football. You can mix and match. You can do. Uh, more points for, let's say, LeBron James, who's been playing awesome. You can go more, uh, let's say, points for Luka Doncic, who's also been incredible. And then maybe you throw in, we have a super wild card weekend going on in football. You put more yards for, let's say, Ezekiel Elliott or whoever you like in uh, the Monday night game. 
So again, no competing against other people, and PrizePix offers projections on any sport you watch. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and they offer safe and fast withdrawals on the back end. So download the PrizePix app now or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play this awesome daily fantasy sports game. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 when you use the promo code Locked On. That means if you deposit $100, PrizePix matches that, puts $100 in your account for you. So don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. We talked about the performance. Uh, I, I was going to say heading into the break there too, Brandon, he's at the lowest, whether it's box plus minus or uh, effective uh, estimated plus minus from dunks and threes.com, whichever one you like to look at of those big stats. He's at the worst since Chris Paul got here. I know Chris Paul hasn't really played a lot this year, so whatever you want to classify it as, but uh, taking a, a pretty critical step back on both ends of the floor in any of those big metrics. And so that leaves us where we are now, which is he's eligible to be traded. For anyone who might not remember, he can't be traded back to the Pacers. So that is the obvious thing to think about, but he can't do that, at least in season. And he has veto power over any trade that the Suns might explore for him. But Brandon, the question I want to ask you is, what kind of value do you feel like this guy has? Because he's now on a max contract. This isn't the summer when he was, you know, maybe a sign and trade for something less than a max or whatever types of options we talked about. He's making $31 million this year, $33 million next year. And we just talked about that he's still inconsistent and hard to trust. What type of team would be wanting to go after that? Do you think he still has the same value he did last summer? What would you feel if you were a general manager thinking about an eight and trade? Uh, it really just depends on the organization. I think that's, that's the main thing is like, you know, if I'm a GM on a team that doesn't have a lot of young assets and I'm trying to, you know, take a swing, I, I see a 24 year old uh, center with all-star potential that helped uh, anchor a defense that made an NBA finals run. And, you know, there's, there's easy ways you could talk yourself into it. Um, on the, on the other hand, you look at the, like you said, he did get a max contract and uh, you know, centers, are pretty easy to replace in, in the modern NBA. And if you're not at that peak level, like a Jokic or Embiid, uh, it, it's tough to justify giving out a max to, to any center uh, at, at this point. So it's, there's two sides to it. It just really comes down to, I think, culture and fit. Um, Cause I think there are some situations where I could see Deandre, you know, being an excellent fit somewhere in like Toronto, for example, where they have, you know, a lot of players that can kind of uh, create their own shot or bring the ball off the floor and help, you know, just, you know, with the fast pace and just the culture they've built there. But then if you, on the contrary, you send them somewhere like Detroit, where it's, you know, kind of a rebuilding phase, it's going to kind of be like square one for DeAndre, where early in his son's career, he's just kind of able to do whatever he wanted. And, uh, you know, which could be good or bad for him. We, we don't know, but uh, it really just depends on the organization. I think his values dipped a little bit in terms of just, you know, the new contract and the inconsistent play, you'd hope it'd be a little more consistent by now, but it's, it's tough to really gauge. I think it just depends on which GM you ask because there, there's always teams that are going to think they could get uh, the most out of someone and, and that, you know, that second team rejuvenation type of logic. Yeah, and I think it's there. I mean, like you said, Toronto, right? It's like mm -hmm. when you said that, I'm thinking, all right, well, he's not going to be featured, et cetera. But if you could get Aiton to agree on a trade there and, and not veto it, then I do kind of trust that Toronto might be able to get him to buy in 
in a way that another team hasn't. I think the the second team thing we always think about is like we want to praise these general managers and coaches for finding these diamonds in the rough. And it's like I think the players deserve a lot of credit for sort of being malleable, accepting that they have to adjust and and kind of I think it can be a wake up call for some of these guys. So I you know, this is not me saying there's no hope for DeAndre Ayton, even if it was in Phoenix. I, I don't think it's over for him in terms of continuing to grow and adapt. He's only 24. Um, I like Toronto. I think that's a really good one, especially because, again, we have to, we're talking about a trade here. It's not the same as last summer where we're looking at who has cap space and whatever. It's like you're, you're again, with the max contract. You're having to stack salaries up to $30 million to, to even have a, a real conversation. But So Toronto makes that a little easier because they're an older team with some salaries that could work. I, I've been, this is not really, uh, possible. I I don't think, but I've been kind of fascinated, Brandon, by the idea of an Aiton Alperin Shengun trade. Um, (laughs) that's kind of, it's just like me doing some like 2k brain stuff. It's, (laughs) I, I don't, see a world where that really happens but it's kind of the same thing my show on friday was looking back at the sabonis uh reports from the trade deadline last year where the suns had some thoughts about could we get sabonis uh back for ayton be kind of the same thing right and the rockets i think just need a little bit more like they need to just get stable at any position because they kind of play like they don't know what they're doing um, so I like that one, but I don't really think Houston has any way of making a trade that big. Their biggest salary is Eric Gordon and he only makes $20 million. So there's just no way to do the math to get to Aiton at this point. But I kind of like that idea too. A, a bad team who actually Aiton would be co- sort of like the vet on. And I could feel, I could see that kind of working for him too. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's funny because like the Rockets, they have a lot of similarities to those bad Suns teams. Like uh, I think Jalen Green and then Devin Booker kind of comparison in terms of just the offense that they're working around and the whole coaching situation is just kind of a dysfunctional mess with young talent, uh, but no clear direction. So it'd be, uh, you know, for DeAndre, he'd p- pretty much, like I said, with the Pistons, like if you ended up there, it'd be like going back to, to square one in terms of, you know, you're on a rebuilding team and you got to kind of figure things out. But I think, you know, getting traded to a team like that with a chip on your shoulder could give you know, could be a good wake up call for him. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely, I haven't heard any rockets chatter. So that's, you know, kudos to you for putting that one together. It's, it's tough to find any new ideas that haven't already been. I just, I just don't think Shangun it can be the center for the type of team that they have. And I know this isn't like a rockets podcast, but when you have guys that are kind of have the mentality of being chuckers in, and I don't even know if, Porter and Green end up on that team long term. I think Jabari Smith is a nice balance for them where he is a little bit more defensive minded. He does have more of a natural like role player mentality in him. I think he can he can at least skill set, I'll say, maybe not mentality. I don't know him. But I just think Shengun is a guy, if I'm around the league, I'm gonna be looking because you're telling me the defense is gonna be based around green at the point of attack and Shengun protecting the rim. Like it it gets a little wonky. Um, but that was one that I had in mind. I think Toronto makes sense. What I want to circle back on to maybe um, think about his value outside of specific trades would just be, did you believe if you go back in the time machine, did you buy that there was so little interest in Aiton last summer? Because you heard from Gambo immediately when the KD stuff came out, the Nets are not interested in DeAndre Aiton. 
We heard the same thing about Utah in terms of could it be a three-team thing with Donovan Mitchell involved or any of that combination. No, the Jazz don't like him either. We obviously did not see much in the way of uh, chatter around real sign-and-trade possibilities, and then it ends up just being the Pacers who uh, move forward on, a, on an offer sheet. So do you, do you feel like that's an accurate reading of what his market would be if he were to be available again this season in a trade, or do you feel like that was teams posturing a little bit more than really how they feel? Uh, a little bit of both. I think it was a little more posturing just because of the, the situations both those franchises were in, for example, like, you know, Brooklyn, uh, you know, they, they kind of knew like with some of those new reports that were not really new, but kind of, uh, reaffirmed that, you know, Durant pretty much wanted Phoenix and that was it. And some of those teams that were leaked were kind of, uh, from B- Brooklyn's end in terms of trying to create some leverage for a possible trade. It seemed like Brooklyn just really was set on trying to convince Durant to stay, which they did. Um, and it's worked out pretty well for them, but, but Utah was just kind of in a weird situation where it seemed like they just kind of want to flip the script and just start from scratch, you know, dealing your two franchise players like that. Um, but like I said earlier, I think the whole eight and fit is just really situational and team to team. And it's a complicated, anytime you're dealing with that type of salary, just adding in a a piece that of of that magnitude. Uh, I think there's teams that like him. It's just a matter of, you know, timing and making the contracts work in terms of a trade or, offer sheet, you know, because the Suns matched it within two minutes. So, you know, some teams just didn't want to, you know, take that risk when it's like, why are we going to waste our time in the sky if they're just going to match the offer? So um, I think it's a little bit of both, just kind of uh, finding a fit in certain times of the season is or off season is more difficult than other times. The fit is, is definitely, uh, I think, a part of it. I think, you look to, I mean, and to me, what I, what I, the lesson that I take away and, and you're right, the Nets were not incentivized to play ball and say, yeah, we love DeAndre Ayton. They were trying to get KD back. That was plan, plan A and there was no plan B, right? Like that. So I, I don't necessarily feel like that was like Sean Marks laminated, printed out scouting report of DeAndre Ayton that he would submit if he was applying for a GM job, right? But um, I do think if they really loved him, maybe Kevin Durant is his son right now, right? So, I, I mean, at the end of the day, the actions kind of speak louder than the leakage, and they didn't trade for him. Um, what I was going to say, though, the lesson that I kind of take away from the Jazz and the Nets, just looking at what their rosters and their seasons have been like since is, they have Walker Kessler in Utah and Nick Claxton in Brooklyn, and I think the real problem all along with Ayton is he's a very good player, has incredible uh, untapped potential, I think, still, and has a very high ceiling as a player. You might, we, you know, we all might have a little bit of different feelings about how close he is to reaching that, but that's still all true. I think the problem is centers are just so replaceable. Unless you're an elite, elite, elite talent, it's just hard to convince a franchise to pony up big money for you. Walker Kessler looks like he could be a starter in this league, and he's a rookie in Utah. Nick Claxton kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think that's a player a lot of NBA fans took very seriously, and now he's, like, I'm hearing him getting thrown around in in defensive player of the year conversations. So when you can spend late round, late first round, early second round draft picks and and minimal salary on a center, it's like, why am I going to 
trade players and picks and whatever to get one, you know? And I think that was why there wasn't a huge market for him in restricted free agency. It's like he wants a max. The whole league knew that. And well, not very many centers in the league are, are really worth a max. There's not even very many who get a max, let alone actually like live up to that, that expectation. But with that all in mind, let's talk about the actual trade possibilities this season in the summer, what we think happens here. First, today's show, guys, is brought to you as well by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious treat here in the new year, but you want to skip all the fat and calories, you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays. I always try in January and February to get back to some normalcy with my eating and not uh, snacking and eating sweets quite as much as I love to do uh, in the holidays. And you might want to, you might be the same. You might want to try the same. You got to try Built Bar again. Healthy and actually tasty. That's the name of the game for Built Bar. What makes them so good is they're covered in 100% real chocolate and they come in delicious flavors. That's really all there is to it. Churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond, just to name a few. And they taste like a candy bar. They really, really do taste just like the candy version of whatever flavor you love. But what's even better is that they're actually healthy. They stick to those amazing macros, no more than 150 calories, no more than five grams of sugar. You're always going to get between 15 and 20 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get your box. We've been telling you about Built.com for years, had the promo code in years past. But now you can head over to your local Walmart or Sam's Club and get a box for yourself. Again, whether that is cookies and cream, double chocolate, brownie batter, churro, just to name a few. Go run to your local store or check out Built.com and you can thank us later. I'll just say flat out, Brandon, I think uh, I have a hard time with everything we've talked about. People probably can tell where I was headed. I'll let you give your thoughts, but I don't think that there's really a, a realistic pathway to a trade in season with the veto, with his inconsistency as a player, and with how big of a trade we would have to be talking about in order for it to get done. Then you throw in the fact that on top of all of that, the ownership situation makes any trade seem a little wild to imagine at this point in time. I just, I, I don't see it happening. No, I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. Anytime there's one veto power, it's already tough enough, but now you have two and uh, you know, Jones as stubborn as he is in negotiations too. It's just kind of like a perfect storm of probably not happening uh, when, when you look at it, but unless the stars align and maybe something, does come to fruition because there's been a lot of rumors with, you know, three teams and, and all this stuff. And as things heat up, uh, maybe something comes together that just makes sense and just lines up and they get approval. And, you know, it's perfect in Suns world where they, they end up getting that second star that they, they need to add with Booker uh, and some type of crazy trade. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think it's most likely going to come this summer. Uh, I think at this point I would put the odds probably greater that Deandre start like this at the start of next season, it's probably greater odds that he's not in a son's uniform than he is, which, um, you know, really? I think you think so. You think I, we're there. I think so. Just with how this, this season's kind of unfolded. It's, it's not, I know and things can change quick. We know how the NBA works and, you know, Deandre puts together a great stretch. This team gets healthy. They have reinforcements on the way. Maybe they make a playoff run and he solidifies himself again. And he's showing up in the playoffs. That's one thing you can count on him for, uh, you know, a couple of hiccups here and there, but for the most part, he's been great there. So, that it, they can always change, but as of now, I would put my money on that start next season. DeAndre and will be in a different uniform. I'm looking at projected practical cap space on Spot Track, which uh, I don't do the math on, so don't hold me to this. But it looks like 
San Antonio, Houston, Indiana, Orlando, Detroit. I think all those teams had cap space last year, or at least uh, everyone but Orlando. Um, Charlotte, Oklahoma City. Obviously, the Lakers have a path to cap space. Not that I think they'll be interested in Aiton. The Jazz, if they start to do a fire sale, could obviously get to a position of having a pretty major cap space. That's, you know, going on double-digit teams. It'll be a, a much more open marketplace, so to speak, than it was last summer when he hit free agency. And obviously, he wouldn't be signed as a free agent, but it's a lot easier to make trades with teams that have space because you don't have to do the the jumping jacks of matching salaries like we just talked about. Um, so... I think it'll be easier. We always, you know, we obviously know trades are always easier in the summer anyway. I, I guess I'll just be surprised to see him not be on this team. Not because obviously I've criticized him plenty. Everyone knows that I, I, I'm not naive. The NBA is a business, all that stuff out of the way. I guess it's just like we've known this is like a kind of when is the first domino going to fall kind of moment for the Suns since basically the end of game seven last year against Dallas. But that first domino still hasn't fallen. So I guess it's kind of like I just don't know what to expect. I don't know if it'll be Aiton. I don't know if it'll be Cam Johnson. I don't know. And <laughs> it's going to be something. But I guess... Uh, it's it just feels kind of hard to envision the perfect trade for Aiton, and I don't think James Jones is the type of player, type of person to just get rid of a player just to get rid of them. Um, I, I guess I just like you said, he's he's so like fickle with these negotiations. It's kind of hard for me to imagine some other team wanting Aiton badly enough that it would be a trade that would satisfy Jones. Do you know what I mean? And and maybe it really will come down to ownership just being like, hey, this season, you, 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 the team did not play well enough. You need to make a change. And, you know, if it ends up being eight, and maybe, maybe that's kind of what it has to be. But I don't know. I, I just can't come up with the trade. We, we, we went back and forth on a few. I, I don't know mm-hmm. what that would look like. Yeah, and here's, here's the main thing. Like, I think especially it just depends on how the season ends, first and foremost, because – uh, as I mentioned earlier, things can turn around quick or, you know, they could miss the playoffs. They could, you know, make the plan, maybe get to the playoffs and get eliminated in the first round. And all of a sudden there's a, the pressure gets ramped up because you just had an off season where you didn't do anything. And like, obviously waiting for Kevin Durant, you know, I'd, I give him benefit of the doubt for that because that's one of those players that it's worth, uh, you know, putting your chips aside and, and seeing if there's something there. But I think two off seasons in a row, it's, it's going to be tough to keep this, you know, fan base and, you know, uh, even your job security at that point, if you're not making any significant moves. So I think this summer, if the Suns aren't at least in the the Western Conference finals or trending up in that direction towards the end of the season, I could see Jones making a blockbuster trade, trying to add a second star, uh, especially if you factor in they're going to have their first round pick, assuming they don't trade it at the trade deadline. Uh, and it could be a lottery pick. So all of a sudden you have these pieces that you can put together for this big swing and that's what he's kind of been waiting on. So I think this this summer is the most likely we'd see a blockbuster. Uh, you know, just going to throw it out there. Maybe LeBron James is disgruntled and, you know, he's he's the Kevin Durant of last offseason. And then he actually moves the needle with the new ownership and they get something done. I'm, I'm not 
not saying yes or no to that at this point, but I think uh, <laughs> I'll say yes. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and get out in front of it. I would like to cover LeBron James. I would like to see him in a son's uniform. Bold, bold take on my part. You know what actually <laughs> it's, it's makes me the most no. op- yeah. <laughs> yeah, hard to say no. You know what makes me kind of optimistic uh, in the end, though, when you talk about a blockbuster trade in the summer um, is the Donovan Mitchell trade because I think we lumped that deal in with all of the other, like the Gobert trade and the KD talks that didn't end up resulting in a trade. And I feel like we kind of feel like we, we make it seem like that Cavs trade, like when, when it gets talked about it among fans, as if the, the Cavs gave up like everything, so to speak. And yeah, they did with picks. And so I think that's why it gets grouped in in that way. But mm-hmm. even then, they really only gave up three and two swaps. That's not like the most you can give up. But aside yeah. from that, the players, Abaji was kind of like a ridiculed pick. People thought he went a little high. Then Markinen, who we did not think of the same way, he was kind of, I mean, he his value was even lower than Aiton's, but he was kind of in the same place in his career where it's like, little overpaid in terms of perception around him getting to the end of the patience that a coach and a, and an organization might have with him in two stops in his case. And then Sexton who, you know, maybe that's a little bit more of like the cam Johnson of the trade. Right. And you start to piece it together and it's like the Suns could easily, if you have a be whatever their first round pick were to be this year. Right. Suns yep. could make basically that exact trade, which would be, you know, Aiton's a little more expensive than Markinen. Maybe Cam is a little less expensive than Sexton. You get to about the same salary. You throw in a mid-first round pick like Abaji was for for Cleveland. And then all those picks, and it's like, well, if they could get a player as good as Donovan Mitchell for a package like that, I think the Suns could could really be rolling in the right direction. Um, I know that's that's sort of like best-case scenario, very optimistic look at it, but... I don't think people really felt like the, the 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 Jazz got ripped off in that Mitchell trade, and it worked out pretty well for both sides. So maybe that's kind of the template for what the Suns would be looking for next summer if Aiton does continue to be available for them. No, absolutely. And I think there's going to be a lot of teams, too, that kind of have to pick a direction pretty soon because there's so many teams that are just you know tinkering on that. Are we a contender? Are we going to go all in? Are we going to reset? And this offseason, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that come in disappointed and want to make a, a splash or a move. So it's it's tough to kind of see that picture right now when looking at these teams, like who's going to, you know, who's a realistic fit for DeAndre when, you know, we don't know how things are going to look and come summer. So there's going to be some teams ready to blow it up uh, that maybe we were not expecting. So that's why I, I kind of get the sense that this offseason, like Jones is going to strike. He's saved all these assets, like all these picks that they have control of. Like you mentioned, there's uh, you know, teams, especially those rebuilding teams that are looking to start fresh. If you can give them uh, a good supply of first round picks along with a young player, that's, that's an easy sell to, to a fan base in terms of a return for it, for a star. And also just gives you that, that draft capital that not a lot of teams can offer, especially from the sun's point of view where they're still, uh, I think just a couple moves away and you can call them a championship contender. Uh, so to have those assets and still have the pieces you have in place locked up, uh, they're in a good spot in terms of, quote unquote star hunting. So uh, now it's just about finding that star, which we've been talking about for too long at this point. But, you know, I think this, this yeah. off season's kind of the the deadline in a way. Yeah. I mean, you talk about Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, Trey Young, like 
off the top of my head, just looking at like last night's games and today's games and just looking at the teams that, that are, that are listed there. It's like, I could see all those players, you know, potentially being the next one, some more likely than others. Maybe Suns fans like some of those names more than others, but uh, maybe the the best way to, to kind of put it. And, and like you kind of just said there, Brandon, like the Katie thing maybe should be looked at more as like the opportunities the Suns are in place to take advantage of rather than a missed opportunity that they're never going to get again. Right. It's like, okay, Durant himself, maybe that ship has sailed a player like Durant, they're still going to be in a position to, to strike for. So I think that's a good place to leave it. I, I think you and I are pretty much aligned that an eight and trade is not something we're going to need to do an emergency reaction podcast to in the next month. But uh, it is something that's probably not going away in terms of what Suns fans should should have expectations around. But that'll do it for today's show, folks. You can read Brandon at Brightside of the Sun. You can follow him at Zonahoops underscore on Twitter. Uh, I'll be back right after Suns-Grizzlies here on Monday night, an MLK Day game. They play this. seems like the Suns play this game every year, which I, I don't have any complaints around. I love this matchup, Memphis and Phoenix. Cam Johnson may be back later in the week. So hit follow, hit subscribe. Keep track of your favorite team here with me every single Monday through Friday. Do not miss a show. And uh, go lo- listen to Locked On Sports today. Make that your second listen here on this Monday. That show is available on all podcast platforms. So check it out wherever you listen, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.